0: God, we love you, and we are so thankful this morning to be in your presence, to be in this place, God. God, I just pray, like I pray every week, God, that you would just speak through me, that you would that you would use the, the preparation that I've done, you would use the the words that, that, I've, that I want to say for, for your will, God. May they be your words for your people on your day, God. No one needs to hear from me this morning. They don't need human words. They need your words. God, I pray that as we continue this Multiply series that you would uh, just bless it this morning, that you would reveal to us a little more about your story and who you are. How we love you in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, we are, uh, I believe, in week 13 of Multiply, uh, but kind of week four on the, on the back half here after Easter, uh, going through, walking through the story of Scripture. Right? And, and really the point is this, if, if multiply is about being disciples who make disciples, how do we make disciples? Well, we, gotta, we need to tell our story, we need to tell God's story. Well, hopefully you know your own story. <laughs> so now it's time to learn God's story. How can we tell God's story if we don't really know God's story? And so we're just spending the next, I think there's still 10 more weeks or so, walking through the story of God. What is, it, what, is, what is the story of God? So we started in creation. We started in Genesis 1 and 2, this perfect creation that God has made. And hopefully we left that week just so in awe of who God is uh, that we just, we're just. I hope it still is there. I hope you're still in awe of who God is just because of all that he's made and all that he's done. All right, that, that perfect creation lasted a whole two chapters in Genesis. And Genesis 3, we messed it up as human beings, Adam and Eve sin comes into the world, and the fall happens, right? And it takes six chapters for God to say he regrets making human beings. And and so we we talked about the fall and and how kind of sin comes into the picture. What What is sin? How does sin work? And then last week, we kind of continued the story with really the beginning of the story of redemption. Because after the fall, the rest of the book between Genesis Really, 12 and Revelation 22 is just about the redemption of God's people. Right, we have the whole book, basically, just about how God wants to redeem his people and bring them back to himself. And so we started that story off last week with Abram and with this, this promise of Abram in Genesis 12 and 13 and 15 of, of these descendants that will be more numerous as the stars and more, more numerous than the dust. If you could count the dust and you could count your offspring, Right, and we, we, we see another promise in Genesis 15, though, uh, that kind of leads us to where we're going today, right? So if you, if you go to Genesis 15 with me, we'll just kind of uh, just shortly remind ourselves where we were last week, <clears throat> and then we'll kind of pick up where we are, all right? Genesis 15. Remember, in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 13, we see the the offspring. Make your offspring like dust, make your offspring like stars. And in Genesis 15, we see this kind of weird promise to Abraham. As Abraham was asleep, in verse 13, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions." You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried in a good old age. And in fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now, I want to I just touch on this. For, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Where do we read about this in Scripture? Well, we don't really have to go far. We just go to the next book of the Bible, Exodus Right, and we kind of we start to begin to see uh, some of these some of these promises. Right, Genesis. I'm sorry. Go to Exodus. We'll start in Exodus chapter 1, right? And we know that God is... We, Genesis, Exodus 1 and 2 really are, are after 400 years of the Israelites already being in Egypt, right? We know that from, from other scriptures, we know that they've been there for about 400 years, right? This is what? It's a, it's a fulfillment of the promise of Abraham, right? Know for certain that for 400 years your people will be slaves in a country that is not their own. And so, so here in Exodus we find the Israelites enslaved in Egypt, in a country that is not their own, and they've been there for about 400 years at this point when we start reading. All right, but we also know that from the other promises, that God is already starting to fulfill these other promises as well, right? Who is here in Egypt? It's all the Israelites. Uh, who are the Israelites? Well, they're all the descendants of Abraham. Wait, so God is already beginning, you can see this, God is beginning to fulfill these promises. God, your, your descendants will be more numerous than the dust, more numerous than the stars. Here we go, right? We're starting this already. There's, they're, they're already in, in Exodus 1. We'll just start in Exodus 1, <clears throat> starting at verse 8. It says, then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, Joseph is, is another person we meet in Genesis, later on in Genesis, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came into power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites." And worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And all their harsh labor the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Right? We also find out in Genesis or in Exodus one and two here that the Egyptians are so scared of the, of how big the Israelites are getting, of how numerous the Israelites are getting, right? That this Pharaoh, he, he says all of the all of the boys all of the boys need to be thrown into the Nile River. They cannot grow anymore. So any boy that is born, you need to throw it into the Nile River. You need to kill these baby boys so that the Israelites cannot can no longer grow in number. Right, this, is, this is where we start here. And then and then and so Genesis or I'm sorry, it keeps in Genesis. Exodus one and two also introduce us to a guy named Moses. Right? And Moses was supposed to be one of these boys. He was born at this time when the boys were supposed to be thrown into the Nile. He was supposed to be one of these boys, but through, through really a work of God, through a work of God, his, his mother puts him in a basket, puts him in the Nile River, and, and the princess finds him, brings him in. And if you read, if you read the Exodus 1 and 2, you know that, that, that Moses' sister actually gets to, to take care of Moses, right? And so, uh, so we find this, this God's provision over Moses, and then we see this, in Exodus chapter two, where, where Moses, after he's grown up a little bit, he's out and he's out looking at everything. He's looking at the, the work that the Hebrews are doing, He's looking at the work the Israelites are doing and, and the Egyptians, and he ends up seeing an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, and he kills the Egyptian. And then he runs, and he's in, he's in Midian, and he becomes a shepherd. He's in, more or less in exile, right? Pharaoh wants to kill him, he runs. He's a shepherd. And then here's where we pick up in Exodus chapter 3. This is really the, the main focus. I really kind of rushed through Exodus 1 and 2 there, so I encourage you to read through. But I want to get to where we're going today. So Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was... <clears throat> we'll start at 2.23, sorry. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. and their cry for help, be- and, <clears throat> and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. There's one version that I love of this verse. It just says, God looked at the Israelites, and he knew. I love that. And he he knew. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of, Israel, of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name that you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you, and I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey." The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let's take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward, toward, toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and every woman <coughs> living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and your daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. All right, this is the story of, of God calling Moses to begin this, this journey out of Egypt, this journey into the promised land, the promised land that God promised Abraham. In Genesis 12 and 13 and 15, right? These are this is the promise. This is the this is really the beginning of the the fulfillment of this promise, right? The promise of the promised land, the promise of leading this into this land of milk and honey. And here's here's the deal. Here's Moses. Moses is minding his own business, right? He's a shepherd, he's in the mountains, he's minding his own business. And all of a sudden, he sees a bush. And this bush is just weird because this bush is not burning even though it's on fire. Right, what, is, what is going on with this bush? And, and, and on this mountain, he sees this bush and the bush speaks. And God, God says, I've heard the cries of my people. I've heard, I'm going to deliver them. How? I, through you, Moses. I'm going to deliver my people through you. Through you. Moses is becoming kind of the the mediator between God and his people here. And so Moses has two questions for God. First question is this, who am I? Who am I? Who am I that you would send me out of all of the Israelites? Who am I that you would send me? We'll talk about that question a little later. But the, the second question is this, who are you? Who am I? But who are you? Who are you, God? Who, who, who am I supposed to say is sending me? I quickly just want to go to Exodus chapter 6, just, just real fast. I think it'll help us uh, as, we, as we kind of process this and better understand it. But, but in between here, in between chapters 3 and 6 and 4 and 5, Moses goes, right? And things don't get better. Things actually get worse. Isn't that, isn't that just like God? <laughs> When you take this step of obedience that God wants you to take, you feel like, man, I'm doing the right thing, but things just kind of just get worse. Yeah, maybe that's maybe just me that's been there, but maybe you've been there as well. Actually, I want to start in, uh, in five uh, twenty-two. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on this people, and you've not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, and I just want you to to think about this in, in, in the parallels here. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord... I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of Israelites who who the Egyptians are enslaving, and I've remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with, my, with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought, you out of, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. There's a theme here in Exodus three and Exodus six. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. He says it over and he says it over and over and over again. I am the Lord. This is my name. This is this is the name that that I. This is this is what it means. This is this is my name. This is who this is who I am. And really here's here's what this here's what this means. This word this this phrase in the Hebrew is Yahweh, right? I am Yahweh. This, this word is actually the, the verb, it's like a verb tense of to be. It's the Hebrew word to be. Right, he's basically saying, I am, I, I am, I, I am, I am, I am, I am who I am. This is to be. And so we, we get this sense, and then <clears throat> Yahweh is this sense of it's someone who is. And so God, God actually, this, this phrase, Yahweh, is used over 6,000 times in the Old Testament which is more than 2,000, it's more than three times the amount of the times that the word Elohim is used. And Elohim is really the word, like the generic word for God. And so what we see is God wants to be known by his name. God wants to be known by, the, by this personal God. He wants to be a personal God who is known by his people, who is, who is with his people. I am who I am. I'm not just this, this generic God who is out here somewhere. I am who I am. I am with you, right? And so we hear in Scripture, God saying all the time, I am this, I am this, I am this, right? We see this, this I am God all over the place in Scripture. And so what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us to, to have this, this God who is who is I am? What does it mean for us? What, who is this I am God? What can, we, what can we see? What can we see from Scripture and when we look at this I am God. Who is this, this I am God? What do we know about him? I think there's a few things that we learn even just from this, from chapter three here. The first thing we learn is that, that I am is holy. We learn that the I am, this, this God, the I am is holy. All right? I mean, this, the burning bush by itself is a, is a great picture of this, right? The, the, Moses goes, and Moses is, is approaching this, and, and Moses gets stopped in his tracks because the place where he is is holy ground. And it's not the sense that this, this ground in and of itself is holy. The ground itself wasn't holy. What was holy was that he was in the presence of a holy God. Moses, take off your sandals. The place where you are is holy ground. I'd be willing to to bet that Moses, as a shepherd, has probably traveled this mountain before. Chances are he might have even seen this, this bush before. Right? The bush itself is not holy. The ground itself is not holy. What is holy is being in the presence of God. See, holy is, is more than just sinlessness and righteousness. It's, it's much deeper than that. Holiness goes way deeper than that. Holiness means is, is God's perfectly unique. He is something other. 1 right? Samuel gives us a, a little glimpse into this. If you turn to 1 Samuel with me. Right? He, is, he is other. He is distant. Right, Here's 1 Samuel chapter 2. Verse 2, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. There is no one holy like the Lord. He is other. He is distinct. He, why is, this is why God just stopped Moses in his tracks. Right. There's, there is a gap between a holy God and a sinful people. There is a gap here between a holy God and a sinful people. And this is really the problem that we've been talking about for the last three weeks. Right? Genesis 1 and 2, think about this. We were created to enjoy the presence of a holy God. Not only to enjoy it, but to be it. To, to walk in the cool of the garden with God. Right? This, is the, this is the dream. This is what we were created for. This is, this is human nature. To walk in the cool of the garden with God. This is what we were created to do. But this is the problem, right? Because, because don't you just long to see God in all of his beauty and in all of his holiness? But Genesis 3 comes along and sin comes into the picture and it's no longer available. This is why in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 it says, Without holiness, no one will see God. Without holiness, no one will see God. Hebrews 12 14 says that. Unless you and I become holy, we cannot see God. And thank God for Jesus. Because it is through Jesus that we can become, that we we come to this reality that we need a mediator, right? And Jesus is this mediator between God and human beings that only through the death on the cross and only through rising from the dead and only through the forgiveness of sins can we be holy and can we be in a relationship with a very holy God. It is only through the grace and the love of Jesus Christ that we can do that. Thank God for sending his son, Jesus. This this I am is a is a holy a holy God. See, even as even as great as Moses was. Right, you read the you read the book of Exodus and you realize that Moses was just an amazing man. This man trusted God, this man followed God, this man, but even he was stopped in his tracks when coming into contact with the holiness of God. Take off your shoes, Moses place here at had a holy ground. So here's the the reality this morning that that I just want to soak in. That every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room will, will stand before the holy I am at one point. And here's the deal, if we stand before this, this holy I am, clothed in ourselves, clothed in our sin, clothed in, and we will be cast out of his presence for eternity. This is not a game. But if we stand in the, in the presence of the holy I am, clothed in the righteousness of Christ Jesus, then we will stand and worship God and see him for who he is, see God in his holiness for eternity. Now this is, this is the reality check this morning. We need Christ as our mediator. right? We need the, the holiness of Christ to clothe us so that we, can, that we can meet, that we can be in relationship with the holy I am. This I am in Exodus 3 is, is a holy God. We keep reading in Exodus 3. Verse 7, and we find out that that this this I Am is also a a merciful God. He's a merciful God. 3-7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a land... Into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and with honey. Man, what a picture. What a picture. And don't don't miss this. This this holy God, this this God who is who is holy other, who he is just he is the holy I am stoops down to rescue his people. This holy God stoops down, all is holy and awesome in glory stoops down to save his people. I want us to take hope this morning in the fact that God sees our affliction. He knows our affliction. He knows our pain. He sees our pain. We do not have a God who is unable to sympathize with us, as Scripture says. God sees us in our pain. He sees us. Your pain is never outside of the purview of God. God sees our affliction. He hears our cries. and and, And our prayers, they never fall on deaf ears. They never fall on deaf ears. I think we need to remember that sometimes. Because sometimes, don't we, don't we pray and we just think, God, don't you know? Don't you hear this, God? Don't you know what I'm going through? Don't you, don't you see the pain that I'm in? Don't you know, God? The answer to that question is yes. God does know. Yes, he does know. He, he, does, he sees you. He hears your cry. Right? We, we know in Hebrews... In Christ, we have one who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He identifies with our suffering. It'd be easy to, to look at this passage, and you know, in uh, in two twenty four, it says that God remembered His people. I have in my Bible a question written: Does that mean that God forgot? I was thinking about that, this question this week. Did God forget about His people? Why did, God, why did God have to remember his people? And I, and I just, as I was thinking about what I was talking about last week, I was thinking, God didn't forget. God knew this was going to happen. God said to Abraham, know for certain that your people will, will be slaves in a land that is not their own for 400 years, but I will bring them out. So God remembers this promise, but it's not that he forgot. God God does not forget the love that he has for his people. God does not forget that he loves you. God always loves you. He always remembers his love for you, and God sees you in your affliction. This is the great I am. This is a merciful I am. So God is holy, and God is merciful. And the the other thing that we get from this passage is that God is is ever-present, God is ever-present. If you read 3.12, it just says, and God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. This is a theme that we see all throughout Genesis, all throughout, he tells Abram this, he tells all of basically the patriarchs in Genesis, I will be with you. Right, you look in, in Joshua, I will be with you. Look, in the, in, even in the Gospels, Matthew, and surely I will be with you always. This I will be with you is a theme all throughout Scripture. All I will be with you. I mean, think about, put, our, put yourselves in Moses' shoes real quick. Moses is basically saying, God, who am I? Who am I that I would do this? And, and I'm, I just, I think about what God didn't say in that moment. God didn't say, well, Moses, uh, You were born an Israelite. You spent some time with the Pharaoh in his palace. So you're kind of like the best of both worlds, you know, like we're kind of the best available. Right, You got this. I, we, we can do this. You, know, like you, you have all the qualifications. You didn't, God didn't go through a list of all of the qualifications that Moses had to be able to do this. Right? Moses says, who am I that I should do this? And here's what God responds with. I'm with you. Think about that. Moses had no qualifications of his own. But it was as if God was saying, Moses, it doesn't matter who you are. I'm going to be with you. This is more about me than it is about you, Moses. Who am I, God? Who am I that I should, I should go and free the people from, from Pharaoh? Who am I that I should be the one to go and lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? And God just responds with, I'm with you. It doesn't matter who you are, Moses. I, I, I'm with you. I am with you. And here's, a, here's a question for you to ponder today and this week. Here, here's this question. What if God actually chooses to call us to things not because of our qualifications but in order to lead us to a place where we need to radically depend on his presence? I'm going to ask that question again. What if God calls us and chooses us not according to any qualification that you and I might have but in order that simply we would need to depend on on the presence of God for anything to actually happen. So We have this ever-present I am. This ever-present I am who is always with us. He is with us, and he is with you. He's with you. he's with me so what is our response then what is our response to this this great I am what was Moses' response we read the rest of the story of Exodus and we'll, we'll talk about this more next week Moses went Moses followed the lead of the great I am he went and what ends up happening is this restoration of the israelites the beginning of this journey into the promised land begins to happen through the obedience of moses so how do we respond to this this great i am the great I am who is all about restoring everything back to himself. How do we respond to this great I am? Well, we put our faith and our trust in him. That's how we respond. You put your faith and your hope in him. There's a, there's a story, a passage in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is, what is it? It's Lord If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, can I tell you, this word Lord is the exact same word that God uses in in Exodus chapter 3 when he says, I am who I am. I am who I am. I am someone that is. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if he is Yahweh, if if he is this holy God, if he is the merciful God that we know, if he is this ever-present God that we know, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it's the same word, you will be saved. How do we respond to this great I am? We put our faith and we put our hope into him. This is the beginning of the restoration of all things to himself. This is the beginning of the process of the restoration. This is the beginning to our journey into, if you will, the promised land. It's putting our hope, putting our faith in the God who is. And the God who always will be. It's putting our hope and putting our faith into the great I am. I want to pray this morning and I just want us to to reflect on this. Where is your faith and where is your hope? Have you put it in the Lord? Does your hope and your faith lie in the great I am or is it somewhere else? Are you still looking to, to qualify on your own merits? Are you willing to be able to say, God, who am I that I would follow you? Who am I that I would be a disciple making disciples? Are you still trying to do it on your own? Or will you just hear the words of God say, I'm with you. It has nothing to do, it has more to do with me than it does with you. I'm with you. And if your faith and your hope is not in the great I am this morning, I just challenge you to put it there. Would you put your faith and would you put your hope and would you put your trust in the great I am and start this journey towards the promised land? I'm excited to keep going next week as we continue the story of Exodus. We'll go into kind of the back half of Exodus. But I just want to challenge you this morning to think about where your faith is. Think about where your hope is. And if you need to, to repent this morning say, God, my faith and my hope has not been in you, I challenge you to repent, to tell God that, to turn around and to walk towards him, to say, God, my faith and my hope will be in no one else but you. Maybe you're here and your faith and your hope is, is directly on, the, on the God. I thank God for you. But would you just pray that, that you would be a light to others, that they would see that, and they would begin to put their faith and their hope in God as well. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we are just so thankful for you this morning. God, this morning, we're, we're challenged as we, as we look at who you are, as we look at the great I am, Now we know that you are a holy God, we know that you are a merciful God, we know that you are ever-present God, and we know that that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of who you are. But God, we are thankful that you want to be a, a personal God who relates to us and is, is intimately involved in our lives. God, will we not lose track of that this morning? Will we just put our hope and our trust directly on to you this morning? God, if there are those in this room who haven't done that, or maybe who need to do that again, I pray that you would just would just touch them this morning. That they would feel your presence right next to them in the pew. God, that they would just feel you in this room, that they would know that you are with them. And would they just would they just tell you this morning that they put their faith and their hope in Jesus Christ? And God, for those of us who who have our hope there, God, I pray that you would just begin to already show us a picture of who we can be talking to, who we can be ministering to, who we, can, who we can be speaking to, that they need to just see where our faith and hope is so they can put their faith and hope in the same place. Would you just show us someone this morning, God? God, we love you, and we give you all the praise and all the thanks in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Would you stand with me? Well you I stand, I just—I I forgot to say this earlier. I just want to say, uh, happy Mother's Day. I know a lot of uh, Mother's Day means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. There are some people who celebrate this day. There are some people who uh, this day is kind of a sad thing for them. And so I just want to want to just say, happy Mother's Day, whatever that means to you. Uh, but let me just pray this prayer of blessing over you this morning. God, may may the God of, may the great I am, may this holy God, this merciful God, this ever-present God, go ahead of you and go with you this week. May he be in your homes and your workplaces and the grocery store and in your car with you. May he go with you and go ahead of you, that he would move through you this week, that as you put your faith and your hope in him, that you would make a difference for him wherever you may find yourself. May his love and his peace go with you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. Happy Mother's Day.